At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted God in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Thank you, Miss Becky. Uh, in our sermon today, it's going to be a, a skinny sermon and a fat sermon at the same time. It made it difficult to pick a reading for the day, so I chose the reading out of Titus. Perhaps my favorite reading about the meaning of conversion and what a person does as God turns them from someone that cannot say yes to the goodness and mercy that he, that he wants for them until finally in Christ they are totally remade into someone who is actually capable of being and doing good in the world. I love that. And I use that because in my sermon today I had two choices about the real text. We could read just 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But that seemed like an awfully short verse. Or we could read all of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Which is a fairly long reading. Um, at least as, as we do readings these days. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, not so long, but in, uh, in these days, yes. But this has to do with us thinking about ourselves as we move toward our centennial. A time of celebrating who we've been and, and making peace with who we've been and looking forward into the future that God is already preparing for us. And, and to see that event at the end of this month as a, as a threshold event. An event where we step out of 170 years in Austin, 100 years on this corner, and we, we take up all of that history and we, we allow God to bless it and consecrate it and sift it for every valuable lesson, and then we move forward into days of, of great and exciting opportunities because God is with us, because the Lord Christ is with us, because the Holy Spirit is with us. And so I want to preach into the, into the benediction today. I want to preach into this text where we hear that the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit are with us. And I want to, to reflect on that, first of all, out of the text of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, Corinth is a town in Greece. 
Corinth is a town in Greece that was um, on an isthmus. It really makes it sound like you've got a lisp when you say it correctly. Um, it's, a, it's a narrow place. There's the, the water is not very far on one side and the water is not very far on the other side. And if you just carry your load across this stretch of land, you can save a lot of sailing, a lot of dangerous days sailing if you'll just carry it across through Corinth. For that reason, Corinth was a, was a, a place where the sailors hang out. Now, I've got a grandson named Sailor, so I don't like to say bad things about sailors. And, and maybe you've been a sailor, and our brother Bobby Pollard was a sailor, and, and there are many good sailors, but some are not so much. Some are not so much. And so the city of Corinth was a decadent city. It had money, it had position, and it was a place where the, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to the Apostle Paul and said, don't run away from this grubby, gritty, sinful city. I've got people here that can come to Jesus right here. I want you to stay. And he stays about 18 months, about a year and a half. And then he has to write some letters back. Because... You know, sometimes when, when, when the Lord works to raise up people in his name and to himself out of the, the gutters and the downspouts of a city, sometimes those people don't get it right, right off. Probably not, not like you. Probably you went from not being a Christian to being a perfect Christian in about 14 seconds. Probably you've not been on a journey in your life of constant renewal and repentance and renewal and repentance and renewal, renewal and repentance. Maybe not you, but the, the people in Corinth, they had to go through that. And so when you, you, you study in Corinthians, you say, oh, they start out and they're, they're of different parties. They like different preachers. One likes Paul and one likes uh, Peter and one likes Apollos. And these people over here, smart Alex, they say they like Jesus. And these people with their different preacher preferences, they, they're at odds. Uh, there's a, the, the despicable thing. A man is living with his father's wife. We don't know all about that. We don't have pictures or, or uh, TMZ coverage of that. But it is despicable. And, and uh, Paul says even the Gentiles don't do that. And, that. and that leaves some things out, actually. They're dragging each other to court. And Paul says, you shouldn't drag each other to court. They, they have some mixed up ideas about marriage. Maybe you should just never marry. Maybe you should not do that. They have some, some mixed up ideas about the Lord's Supper. They have some mixed up ideas about whether ministers traveling should be paid or not paid. They, they have messed up the Lord's Supper in several different ways by going to idols, temples, etc. But even when they come together to take the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, some of them, they get there early and they eat up all the potluck dinner so that when people come later, they get to starve and the people who are fat and the people who are starving then get to sit down together and, oh, aren't we great as the body of Christ? Let's take the bread, let's take the cup. because And, and, and one group has completely despised the other group. And Paul says, you can't take the Lord's Supper treating people like that. And then they, they've got trouble with spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, uh, the test of spiritual gifts is, does it create unity? 
And he talks about the body of Christ all unified. And then, then in chapter 13 he says the test of spiritual gifts is do they create love? And, and then chapter 14 he says the test of spiritual gifts is do they build up the church? And then in chapter 15, you find out some people uh, may not believe in the resurrection or think the resurrection's already come. They just have problems with all that. And it's, it is an interesting thing to look at that list of problems and say, and this is a church. I tell you what, if you went back 170 years and, and could get a list of all the funny things that happened in this church and not so funny things that happened in this church, I bet you could come up with a list something like 1 Corinthians. I hope you can leave out chapter 5. But I, but, but I bet you could come up with a list. And you just have to own that. People do crazy things. People do amazing things. But then you get to 2 Corinthians. And things have happened in Corinth and things are better. There's been repentance. There's been, and he says, the God of all comfort is with you. The God of all comfort is with you. And not only that, he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians that you are now the aroma of Christ in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he says, you're a letter written by the Holy Spirit. At the end of chapter 3, he says, the very glory of God is shining out of you. In chapter 4, he says, you are a, a, a vessel. You're an earthen vessel. You're a, you're a pot. You're a God pot. The preciousness of God is in you. Chapter 5, he says, you're a new creation. And it's just wonderful. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he invites them as people who are the aroma of Christ, the letter of Christ, the glory of Christ, the, the earthen vessel of Christ, the new creation of Christ. He invites them to open themselves in generosity for the needs of those around them. He does all of these things. And then in, in the last three chapters, he defends himself against those who don't think he's a very good apostle. But all of these things are true in Corinth. You have a, a, a despicable section. And you have a glorious and honorable life. You've been a place where people are dragging each other to court and you've been a place that is the aroma of Christ. You are a, a place that is a, a letter written by God. And so at the end of all that correspondence, then you get this benediction. And this benediction has its eyes open completely. This benediction says, all you guys and all you girls... You men and women, you saints of Corinth. With all of the stories you know about each other and all of the grace that you've received from God, I want to pray this over you in all seriousness. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And you hear that and you go, that's, um, that's nice. But I want us to hear it a little 
more deeply. Because these phrases can, can, can have two meanings and we want to not choose the meanings. We want to embrace both meanings in these three statements. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that can be the grace that Jesus Christ is giving you, be with you all. May you remember that you are a church where the grace of Christ has been poured out upon you. This is not anything that you have earned. This is not anything that you have deserved. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has so loved the world that he sent his only son. His only son has come for you and he has died for you. And everything you know about salvation from God that is genuine and real comes because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. You know the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. But you also know the kind of graciousness that Jesus Christ practiced. Have you ever looked at a, a dancer? Well, you know, we don't, we don't look at dancers much in our church, but... And, and just seeing the dancer move so graciously. You, you see someone move like that in their body. Or, or you see someone who has those kind of interpersonal skills that they're able to, to walk into a, a, a room full of, of anger and, and, and discord. And they're able to, by their own disposition, their own giftedness interpersonally, they're able to bring peace into that moment. The grace that you've learned from Jesus, the grace that you've seen in Jesus, grace that, that allowed Jesus to walk into the presence of lepers and, and houses where there was grief, the grace of Jesus that could, could withstand the hard questions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and anybody else who lined up. That we have received grace so that we might become gracious. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you know what the rest of them sound like, don't you? May the love of God. May the love that God has poured out be with you all. The love that God has poured out in so many different ways. The heavens declare the glory of God, yes. Some of you, <laughs> some of you when you go home, something four-legged and furry comes up and wants attention. And you're thankful. You're thankful. Some of you, you, you go and you look at your plants that in spite of everything you can do, refuse to die. And you're thankful. Some of you have places that you can go and you can be at peace in that, with that view, with that sound of that water, the picture of that mountain, the, the sound of that surf. You can, and, and you sense the heavens and the earth declare this glory 
that you receive as the love of God. We have cupcakes. We have friends. We have family. It's it's like Paul says, I I want you to, to breathe in deeply the love of God. What if a church breathes in deeply anger, frustration, or judgment? Or what it breathes in, it exhales. Paul says, "I want you to to know that the love of God is everywhere, and then." The love you learn from God. We could, we could take a, a left turn into 1 John at this point. That how, how can you say you love God when you don't love your, your neighbor? Well, you can't. And, and so the love of God then creates the love of God. The love of God to us creates the love of God that flows from us. We become this conduit of the love of God. And we may think nothing of it. You may think nothing of it. You may have gotten to the place where you think nothing of it. That when you're standing at Starbucks and you just say a nice word to the person who's back there grinding beans. That, that you, do, you do get the door. You, you do attend to the people around you. You live your life with your eyes open to practice any bit of love that you can find available to do. You don't live your life waiting for the person who's good enough to get your love. I, I'm a really nice person and I'm really going to be nice when I find the person who's nice enough for me to be nice to. That is not the way we have learned the love of God. The love of God has extremely low standards. (laughs) Low enough to include me. And you. And so when we say that, that, that a part of what we're about is to love God and love others, there it is. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Well, as we're studying in our, our, our classes on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come down. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. The language in, in Acts chapter 2 was that because Christ is risen and at the right hand of God, it is the Lord Christ at the right hand of the Father that has the right to pour out the Spirit into the world in a powerful and present way. And we've, we've sort of been talking about how that, that at certain times the Father God is close to us and at times the, 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 the Son God is close to us. And now this is the era in which the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit has come to be with us. And so our fellowship is with the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Imagine it. 
that God has come to have fellowship with us. Abraham got called and went on a long walk and occasionally had fellowship with God. Hundreds of thousands of, of Israelites left Egypt and they got to camp around the base of the mountain, but they didn't get to go on, up on the mountain. Only Moses got to go up on the mountain. Fellowship with God was rare. Elijah out on the, the rock, the fire and the wind, and the earthquake. And finally, the silence, the deep, the deep silence. And God was in the silence. It is amazing what these moments of fellowship look like. The Mount of Transfiguration. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. But now when you step across Pentecost... You're not waiting for the right moment at the tent next to the oaks. You're not waiting for just the right moment on the mountain in the clouds. You're not waiting for just the right still small voice. You're not even waiting to go on a mountain with two or three of your friends and find Elijah and Moses. You're not waiting for those special moments. Now, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with us is the ordinary situation in which we as Christians find ourselves. This is the status quo. The Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit is indwelling our lives. The Holy Spirit is indwelling our church. The Holy Spirit is in our fellowship. This is the status quo. The Holy Spirit is here. And out of that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we learn the fellowship from the Holy Spirit, the fellowship we have then with one another. And the Holy Spirit is able to teach us about fellowship because the Holy Spirit has always lived in fellowship. The Holy Spirit always lives in fellowship with the Father and the Son. The Son is never without the Spirit. The Spirit is never without the Father. The Father is never without the Son. They live in constant, continued, glorious, godly fellowship. And the fellowship that God has in himself is the fellowship that he wishes to share with us. So we don't choose. I'll have some grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. I'm not so much with the fellowship of the Spirit. You don't get to choose your favorite because just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are together, so are the grace and the love and the fellowship. All together. Never one without the other. 
there are many different trinities in the New Testament. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are the great trinity. And in this text, for this ramshackle church where people could tell such embarrassing stories about each other if they wanted to. Where there has been shame running knee-deep. They can choose to step in to this world where they hear the Apostle Paul Pray over them. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As we move toward our centennial, as we move toward tomorrow, as we finish the rest of this day, may we live the benediction. Let's stand and sing together.